you have your Bibles, I'm reading from the book of Genesis chapter 32. And just a few verses there that it pertains to the day. From the onset, I, I would like for you to know that the process of coming to this moment um, is treated with great care and and um, and great deliberation there's some if I could use that word trepidation also some carefulness to it um, wh- wherever I m- might be whatever conversation that I would have or word that's given it, it, it is my intention uh, to hear from God and then to try to deliver what I've heard without interjecting myself that's a very arduous task because uh, Because there's always pieces of the speaker that seem to drift into them. Where the the only absolution that I have for that is that that perhaps the word given is for the speaker. <laughs> so you've heard me preach many times, not knowing that I was not even talking to you. You thought it was for someone around the church when really Sermon for Jeffrey could have been the title, but I didn't say that. Whatever. All right. Genesis 32 and verse 23. He took them, he sent them over the brook, and he sent over that he had. So Jacob is going to take all that he has he's going to ask them to move forward and he's going to ask them to move beyond him here's the next line Jacob was left alone there are no trappings of his life there are no comforts none of his servants or family he is he is alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now this is a another another portion of scripture. We we could find this. A, it, surely this is a theophany, maybe a manifestation of God, an angel of the Lord, the Lord Himself. Um, God will often manifest in different ways. He did in a burning bush. Uh, the Lord has in the Old Testament. Man, we call that a theophany. It's it's not the embodiment of God. In fact, the Bible says that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So until the incarnate God came about, God would speak, manifest himself in different ways. And it appears that this is exactly what's going on here. That Jacob wrestled with a man until the breaking of the day. And when he saw, when Jacob saw, he was getting nowhere. He prevailed not against him. I'm sorry, let let, let me that, not Jacob. When the man saw that he prevailed not against Jacob, so which is interesting. When, if I could put it in my vernacular, when God saw that Jacob wasn't going to let go, um, that the Lord, the Theophany, touched the hollow of his thigh, and later on we find out this is why the Jews would not eat that portion of meat in the sheep or the lamb or the goat because they were in reverence to that piece that God took out they would never eat that portion of of the meat and he touched his thigh and because of that removal of the muscle tissue Jacob is going to be out of joint 
as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. This is Jacob's response. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. So I speak today about wrestling with God. Amen. And all the people said amen. Now, what I'm about to do is step into a mess. I'm about to step into a quicksand mess of the American mind. What I'm going to do is I'm, I'm, I'm about to battle a cultural shift that is, that is causing chaos in God's church. And there will be immediate resistance in the carnality of people because we have equated God with the U.S. government. As if this Bible was written in English to our culture. It was not. Now we are citizens of this land and we thank God for it. And we give reverence to all of our military personnel, people who serve our country. But you are still a foreigner in a strange land. When Moses realized what was going on, he had a son and he named him Gershom. For he said, I'm a stranger in a strange land. And until you birth something in yourself like a Gershom, you got to realize this world truly is not my home. But what I'm about to preach is going to mess with some of your ideology because you've been indoctrinated to think something that is not godly. I just... I just want to make everyone feel uncomfortable before I even start. It's, it's a wonderful way to set the tone. Just turn to someone and say, Pastor's about to mess with you. You look like he's going to mess with you. He's messing with you now. All right, all right. Come on, help me now. Everybody said in Jesus' name, tell your neighbor they're beautiful, and then you may be seated. It did not take me long to read the cause, symptoms of muscle atrophy. I've read some of the medical journals before. But the totality of them seem to rest on very similar causes, uh, factual basis, and it's not left up really to um, assumptions. I'll offer this to you from the Cleveland Clinic. It mirrors a host of other journals They write, muscle atrophy is the loss or the thinning of muscle tissue. That's probably the most simplistic form for those that are not uh, affiliated with all the other medical terms. Of course, not to be oversimplistic and knowing there are a myriad of genetic reasons for such muscle loss. There's malnutrition and age, perhaps some other condition when reading the cause it did strike me that muscle loss or the thinning of it is often connected to inactivity in one writing the physician pointed out or pointed toward this was a very interesting thing a sociological concept he pointed towards a technological and social mixture of convenience innovation and discovery for such causes of muscle atrophy. Think about that. He said that the obvious absence of resistance and our pursuit of a more convenient lifestyle has in many cases removed the struggle which more naturally strengthens the human body through basic survival skills. Wood-burning stoves. You might want to go buy one of those. Wells, drawing of the water, the movement of earth, walking, 
gardens, the necessity of food gathering. It's a stark difference between then and now. And the difference is not just in what people are eating, but it's the effect of the body. It's not what you're eating that just affects your body, but it's how you came to the food. (laughs) Yes, the shopping cart. It's a minimal effort if you if you find one where the wheels work and they're not all mangled. It, it's easier. I overheard someone complain at one of the grocery stores here not too long ago, and they said, "What kind of store is this?" One of the wheels was just kind of wobbling, and they went and got another one. It was wobbling, and and they were upset because the, it took more effort to push the shopping cart. But then, to make matters worse, the grocery stores have, uh, in, I suppose in their efforts to conserve money, they've created self-service conveniences. I don't know if these are convenient, but people are not too happy with a self-service checkout line. They're faster, yes, but it requires the customer to lift their own items twice. This is a rough world that we're living in. You have to take it out, put it on the shelf, you have to... Use the barcode and then you have to put it back. And Who wants to do that? Where is the world gone? The, this lack of, of resistance stretches far beyond just muscle loss. The great reset and the world's concept of a one world order is the devaluation of individual effort. Which might produce individual gain. And then this reset has caused a myriad of conflicts. It began to, uh, when, it, when it started to occur, it was just one step closer to limitation by design. The focus is on the collective while minimizing the individual. Think this adult class today. That's not what Jesus promoted. In fact, he said, You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. It wasn't always the same. It's not just about the collective. It was about the individual effort. It's in the uphill climb where people learn value and worth and appreciation. It's when things are not handed to you and there's no free things, no free money, no Nothing given that you begin to realize how precious things really are. First world problems, if they persist, might lead to third world realities. Oh my. Oh man. You already don't like it. You're already not happy about it. Because you're going to go to the grocery store and you're going to find that cart that works right. And you may not say it out of your mouth because I just told you not to. But you'll be mumbling under your breath. When is Walmart going to get some new shopping carts? The patriarchs and the matriarchs of the Old Testament were looking for the Messiah. Many of those searched for him. And they were cold and naked and the Bible says sawn asunder. They were often desolate and in wonderings. The Bible tells us they didn't see the promise. They, They believed it. They longed to see it. In fact, Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They struggled with a prophetic word, but they never saw it come to pass in their lifetime, but they did not give up on it. And then came John the Baptist. He is the human plank between the Old and New Testaments and He would introduce Jesus, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. But John then was beheaded, not having seen the miracles which Jesus performed. He only heard it secondhand. It was secondhand knowledge. The disciples and so many others which followed the Lord, they were slaughtered by their oppressors. Some beaten to death. Some ran through with a sword. Some stoned to death. Some were hung. 
Paul reported of himself, and I quote, I have been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged severely. I've been exposed to death. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, minus 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked three times. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and bandits and country, my own countrymen and Gentiles and dangers in the city, the country, the sea, and even false brethren. People I thought loved me, I was in danger of them. I have labored, toiled, I've been without sleep, I've known hunger, thirst, I've gone without food, I've been cold and I've been naked. And if that physical ailment was not enough, Paul said, and I quote, beside everything this, I face daily pressure of my concern and care for all the churches. Out of that comes this prolific, powerful man who raised the boy from the dead when he laid on top of him. Who called out powerful demons and incredible things from God. Because strength comes through the struggle, ladies and gentlemen. The soul winner, teacher, leader, preacher that Paul was came through the struggle. No one achieves spiritual insight without a fight. I cannot hand it to you. I cannot teach it to you. You cannot be trained in it. It comes through suffering and heartache. It comes when praise enters your mouth when there's no logical reason for you to praise. It comes when you give when you have so little to give. It comes when you serve when you are worn out. It comes when you offer grace and mercy when you have nothing in return. Strength comes from resistance and insight and authority and stability comes when you are stable in the middle of your storm. The early church and those believers scattered throughout Asia Minor into the far reaches. Many of them just were running for their own life to escape the cruel deed of wicked men. And then as the decades and centuries went by. They were scattered throughout the world. We have no idea how many apostolic strands and threads have gone throughout the whole world. The whole world has some measure of truth or people that believe the truth. We just don't know them. In fact, in Russia, the apostolic church has lived in the shadows of ruthless men. We found some of them when I was a child. I remember going to a general conference. It was a massive meeting it was just one general conference. Everybody would go to, all the families would go. And I can remember that they found some people. Brother Nathaniel Urshan introduced what he called the Siberian Seven. They were apostolic men and women who had been preaching and living the Acts 238 message without any knowledge of any religious organization which believed the truth. They were alone, but they believed the truth. They were there. They were in Siberia preaching the gospel, living the gospel, living the truth. That's right. Come to find out there were thousands in the Soviet bloc which believed the same thing. In China, it now boasts of tens of millions, perhaps over 100 million people baptized in the name of Jesus. They worship in hushed tones for fear of being found out. Found out. They stagger their entrance into a business office to have worship. And then they leave at the, in the same way, staggered, so they're not seen entering, coming, and going. Our Canadian fellowship is constantly surveilled to make sure no hate speech is offered from their pulpit. The list goes on and on. This Jesus name baptism is moving far beyond denominational lines. It's being received and accepted by all the people all over the world. The greatest revivals, however, are in places where the governments are against them. The greatest revivals are not happening when everything's smooth and easy. Many people receive the Holy Ghost where it's not welcomed. In fact, among the Muslims, if you're found out, you can lose your business, your home, and even your life. Your life is on the line if you trade in Islam for Jesus Christ. It's a struggle. But they're growing. And I submit that they're growing because of the struggle. You grow because of the struggle, not in, not in spite of it, not without it. But when you're resisted, you have a muscle, a new muscle, a, a new resolve. Remove the resistance and you might lose the strength. Learning is not inherited. I'm not even sure or certain that talents are genetic. Maybe you have a propensity, but it still takes practice. Rehearsal takes time. Repetition is the pathway to memorization. A skill level is earned. 
If you want to get there, you have to earn it. If you try to hand it, there is no skill level. You might be put into a position, but you're not qualified. And sooner or later, you devalue the whole thing. Oh, my. Prayer is not inherent. It is a muscle that needs to be developed and exercised. The reason you don't know what to say after one minute goes by is because you haven't exercised that prayer. When you're in need and you need to pray a prayer, a specific prayer, you're going to have to draw from the spiritual muscle and the strength that you've been practicing every day. Praying the word, praying prayers to God, worshiping him, calling on God. It's something you have to, it is a muscle that has to be developed. Prayerful and prayer people of intercessor or intercessors, they are not born. They are formed. Oh man. But something has infiltrated the church and we got a spiritual welfare system going on. And we think, well, everyone should be spiritual and we're all, what are you talking about? That's not how it works. You don't drop your children off and tell the people, teach them. Because I'm not going to do it at home. That's why I bring my kids to church. So you can teach them. We've been doing that in the public school system and saying, listen, I gave you my kids eight hours. They ought to know how to read. And then we just, when they come home, we do nothing. That's not how it works. And now we're seeing the result of a mismanaged society who thinks that they deserve to be intelligent. And we have a church who thinks, well, I go to church. I should have power with God. No, you don't have power with God. You have to have a walk with God every day. And you got to get up and say, I need you, Lord, in the day and in the night. Here's what Moses said. He said, here, Father, when you get up in the morning, you tell your son and your daughter, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And when you walk by the way, you, Daddy, you tell them, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I'll tell you why people do not know about the mighty God in Christ. And they're led everywhere because Mama and Daddy never got up and they said, that's the church's job. I hear, I'm standing here to tell you and I'm pushing back about on a culture that says it's the church is supposed to make us spiritual. No, no. You got the word. The veil has been torn. You got to get inside of that thing and say, I got to have a walk with you, Lord. This is what I'm praying. I'm praying for spiritual strength in this house. That when you go through a trouble and a storm, you are not shaken and you are not removed and you are founded in God. And when you go through severe loss and some affliction comes on your body that the doctors have no remedy, that you are still praising God and you are still loving God. Your body is going to break down, but your spirit ought to get stronger every day. Your issues are going to rise up, but your Holy Ghost ought to get stronger every day. I've been through suffering. I've had false brethren. I've been in peril. I've been in the open sea. But my God is going to be faithful. What's going to separate me? Nothing. I think the church needs to have a reset. I think we need to have a reset of apostolic authority. And it's gonna, not going to come today. It's going to come tomorrow. And it's going to come on Thursday. And it's going to come on a midnight prayer meeting. Uh, I'm preaching and I know my office of a pastor, but I'm not a professional. Remove the idea of professionalism. That's what's killing the church today. We think we hired you to teach and we hired you to witness and we hired you to birth people. That's not how the early church, the early church all thought it's our responsibility. Yeah. Uh, spiritual sensitivity spiritual insight flowing after the Holy Ghost it takes time and maturity if you're new to the Lord just get in the path and over time you're going to figure this out but you got to keep your eyes centered on the Lord because a spirit can't be manufactured and manhandled 
Jesus said, the spirit comes and goes. You don't know where it's coming. You don't know where it's going. You just have to be sensitive after the Holy Spirit. If a person's going to minister, which means to serve, then that person has to be prepared. Are you ready? This is, this is so counterintuitive to big crowd mentality. You have to be prepared to be crushed, wounded, accused falsely, exposed. That doesn't sound so pleasant, does it? You know why? Because you got a host of TV preachers telling you that when you come to God, everything's going to be good. And you just think your way into blessing. And you keep on thinking that, you're powerless. Because the depths of ministry is first attended by suffering. Don't lose your faith in the middle of suffering. Even if you are the one who caused yourself to suffer. Put myself in this mess. Okay, well get up now and get to the house of God and get to your private prayer room and open up your scripture because you're coming out of that. You don't have to live in that. That's going to make you stronger. Don't believe the report of the devil. He's a liar. You can come out and you can be stronger than you were before. When you get on your knees, you'll learn how to stand. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Hey, hey, hey. I'm talking to you now. The Lord wants to do something to you. Do not lose your courage in the middle of the trial. Yes. Even the idea of Christianity has lost its value. Everyone is a Christian. They say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, the proper term is disciple. In fact, it looks like Christianity, even the term Christians was not, it wasn't even known for some time in the church. It was probably Well, we know from Acts 2 to Acts 10, there was a decade there. And that eight chapters, a decade had passed. So chapter 11, it might even been further along. It might have been 15 years after Pentecost. Which means it had been 15 years, 11, 10, 15 years after Jesus had died. Here's the scripture in Acts 11, 26. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. But before that, they were just called disciples. So we dropped the disciples here. No one's a disciple. We're Christians. What does that mean? Well, that's subjective. That's subjectivism. Well, Christianity to me is no. No, disciples. So you can be a Christian today in our world and not be a disciple. I choose to be a disciple. And to be a real Christian, you have to be a disciple. And to be a disciple means you're a devoted follower, a proponent, a student, an advocate, an apologist for the one they're following. I'm in defense of the gospel, which means you don't know what you believe until you have to defend it. Oh, man. The Lord spoke this to me early in the morning. It was in my spirit. Perhaps the worst witness is not the hypocrite. It might, it might be the person that's the worst witness is the one who says, I don't know, that's just what my church tells me. I can deal with the hypocrite. I can't deal with the person who has no relationship with the scripture. That's just what my pastor preaches. That's why we do it. Is that why you do it? Well, then you're following a man and you're in trouble. And you're in big trouble. Because I could could have a brain freeze and tell you some crazy thing. Which is not beyond me. I might have already done that. These are more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they went home in search of scriptures to see whether those things were so. The Bereans had it together. They were like, come on, bring it to us, preacher, bring it to us. And when he got done, they said, okay, now let's check out the scripture. Well, what scripture? They only had the Old Testament. They were going through the Old Testament saying, let's make sure that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. We're going back again. And as long as you're in the word, I'm following you. You got to know what you believe. Hear me. 
Mom and dad, grandpa, grandpa, whoever you are, you get at your table and you open up the Bible. You get in a car and you talk about Jesus. Do not say, I brought my kids to church all their life. I raised them in church. I don't know what happened. No, you did not raise them. There are no beds, cots, dressers here. You raised them in your home. I'm looking for a generation of people that will love this truth and defend this truth. And I'm going to trust Acts 2.38 is still good. And Acts 2.39 is still right. And Colossians 3.17 is still right. Whatever we do, we're doing in word or in deed. We're all going to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. You got to get back to the word. We're saved by the, by baptism. That's what Peter said. That just as Noah was saved by water, even so baptism saves us. Which makes me know that many call themselves something that they are not. And among the reasons of their misabled, mislabeled position is that they refuse the struggle. They won't wrestle. They reject the battle. See, they're not in fellowship with a sacrificial lamb. They want his triumphant entry. And they, they are enthralled with his third day resurrection. But they don't want the abandonment. And they don't want the loss. And they don't want the bewilderment. They don't want the burden. But I feel led of the Holy Spirit to speak to all of us. The mountain is not defined by its height alone. Rather, it's known by the distance of the valley beneath. Strength is always measured by the level of your resistance. Paul said in one portion, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness in high places. Where did the spiritual warfare go in the church? Where did it go? Do you, are you not aware there's a spiritual darkness afflicting your, your neighborhood, your, your job? Whether you like it or not, it's time for you to start wrestling and battling, not with people. But with the spiritual world, you should walk around saying, I take dominion over that demonic spirit. But if you're so numb, you'll walk into a place and, well, it, it feels bad, but I just want to get out of there. I just want to live and let live. I'm not doing that. I'm not living, let living. I'll tell you what, I'm taking dominion over that darkness and that demonic thing and that spiritual wickedness in high places. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I'll tell you why you got to take, because there's too much on the line. Don't you know that your family is struggling? They don't even know what they're struggling about. They don't know what the struggle's over. So you got to go and say, I'm building a hedge around your home and your mind right now because the devil would like to sift you like wheat. It's not just demonic spirits. Here comes the next part. Paul writes to the church of Colossae. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. That's a perverseness, evil concupiscence. That's a sexual perversion. Covetousness, which is idolatry. You covet everything, you want everything. It's idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Because of that, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Mortify the deeds. Mortify comes from the, from the meaning to put to death, to kill. Mortify the state of being subject to death. Some things need to be put to death. In me and in you. You can wrestle with the devil, and you ought to, but you also need to wrestle with your own desire in your heart. And please don't give up the, the fight. Please don't say, well, that's just, that's just how our family always lived. What are you talking about? Break the chain. Break the yoke. Stop doing it. I don't care if everybody in your family did it. You can be a new person. I don't care if you did it yesterday. Today is the day to start over. Start wrestling with it. Here's what the Bible says. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. He's drawn away. He's enticed. That doesn't mean you have to give up, give in to the temptation. You might be tempted every day, but you fight that temptation every day. If it's an addiction, you fight it every day. If it's a mental thing, you fight it every day. If it's an illicit drug or an alcohol, you fight it every day. If it's a sexual perversion, you kill it every day, every day, every day. 
I'm concerned that we stop fighting because we're a little wore out. And we're like, man, I, man, I just keep fighting this temptation every day. That's okay. You might have to fight it until Jesus comes. But I promise you, when that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first and you start drifting up into the sky, you'll be glad that you are fighting your temptation and killing your flesh every day. Can you hear what I'm saying today? I, I want you to hear with your heart. If something unsavory or unwholesome was handed down to you from your family or a member of your family, fight it until you kill it. And if it rises back up again, you fight it and you kill it. And if it comes back a third time, you keep fighting it and you kill it. Until you start conquering it. Until it becomes old hat and say, you know, I got to fight that again every time. I got to fight that negativity. I keep thinking negative thoughts. You got to lift up your head and say, my redemption draweth nigh. The Lord is my refuge and my strength. I shall not fear in a time of trouble. There's one more. Comes from Jacob. He's on his way back home. He purposely sends his family ahead. I won't divulge all the trappings of of that moment. Years have not resolved the issue with his scorned brother. He deceived his brother so many years prior. He took something from him. And now he has to face his brother Esau to get back to the promise. He's got to go through his brother. He feels differently. Feels a certain level of compassion because what he did to Esau, his father-in-law did to him. God has a great way of teaching us about our own flaw. It's the law of harvest. You're never going to get away from the law. And feeling compassion is, is one thing, but it's different from the resolve of the old wound. Or as Solomon once wrote in Proverbs 18, a brother offended. It's harder to be one than a strong city. Their contentions are like the bars of a castle. The reason that Jacob sought out Peniel. He went there to struggle. He went there to fight. He went there to wrestle. He went there to strive. He was in conflict and it took, it took a moment to get a hold of God and stay there. And the Bible says that he wrestled all night until the morning was almost come. He struggled, he pulled, he tugged in the late hours. Jacob held on to the midnight hour and then the graveyard shift. We're not privy to the knowledge or of hypotheticals. We don't, we don't know what might have happened if he would have just given up. But my instinct tells me that the matter would have been incomplete. I realize that for Jacob and for me and for you, the answer always comes through the struggle. It wasn't the capturing of God that changed the situation. It was the fact that the struggle changed him and the struggle changed me. The answer has less to do with the end result as it does with the pursuit. In fact, the answer is the pursuit. And the pursuit is the answer. If you get to the end of it, then it's over. You're never on the end of it. It's my constant pursuit of God. Constant struggling. That's the answer. I'm seeking for the answer. When the answer's right there in front of me. Mm -hmm. The greatest days of the church have always occurred when there was affliction. The church always grew under stress and pressure. They expanded through tribulation. They flourished in the middle of dark times. Yes. They did not flourish in convenience. There's no reason to call on God when everything's good. Herbert Spencer was the first to write it in a biological book in 1864. He called it the survival of the fittest. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not preaching about the function adaptations, variations of the human frame, but I do believe that half-hearted people... and disengaged people and people that are spiritually anemic will not survive. No struggle means no strength. No prayers at midnight means no rejoicing in the morning. 
Peter said, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. That's not the message of the cultural church of America today. We do not want to talk about Christ's sufferings and partaking of it. We want to talk about gain and increase. But I just want you to know it's okay to rejoice when you're suffering. Colossians 1.24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. A whole church is going to suffer. Everyone's going to be down. And you can look up and say, well, I don't want to go to a church that's in, in suffering and pain and turmoil and heartache. Let me tell you, that's the only way that we're going to get strong. If you really want a Holy Ghost revival and a revival in your family, you're going to go through some dark times. But rise up, ladies and gentlemen, and start to rejoice. God is on your side. You're doing the right thing. you got to wrestle this thing out. Moses chose to suffer with the people than to enjoy the pleasure of sin because he knew that the season would change. And I'm concerned that the body of Jesus Christ, the church, has been infected by the mindset of a world, or at least a portion of the world, which has disdain for the struggle. They are enamored with reward, but they reject the process. Are you hearing me now? You have a process. God's putting you through a process. When you are tried, David said, he'll come as pure gold. But not just one trial. Seven times you're in the furnace. And you're going to tell me, Pastor, how long do I have to go through this? You might have to go through this for a couple of seasons. You might have to go through it seven times. But when you get out, you're going to be pure. You're going to be tried. You're going to be right. Your spirit's going to be right. And God's going to use you for his glory. Yes. So for all those who don't know, if you have yet to fully grasp the Bible's doctrines, keep wrestling, dig, find a place of prayer and ask God for a revelation, but don't give up. If you struggle with understanding, well, here's what James said. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all men liberally and braideth not. It shall be given to you. I don't really know what to do. Ask God. He'll give you wisdom. (laughs) But whatever you do, keep yourself in the path. Here's your path. I hope you're hearing me now. Be planted when life is easy and be planted when life is hard. Be consistent when there's no pressure and you feel good. But also be consistent when the pressure is unbearable. Paul said this. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold on eternal life. You were called. You professed a good profession before many witnesses. See, not every fight is a good fight. And not every fight is worth the effort. But this is the one fight that's going to be worth it all. It's the good fight of faith. You say to the world, to yourself, to the devil, to the concepts of the world, whatever. You say, I'm not giving up. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to keep being faithful. I'm going to keep in the path. I'm going to set my roots down. I'm not going anywhere. The devil's not chasing me out. You're not chasing me out. Trial's not going to chase me out. Sickness is not going to discourage me. I'm going to rejoice in every step of the way. Because I'm wrestling. I'm going to be wrestling from now till Jesus comes. I'm holding on. I'm not letting go. I don't have it all yet, but I'm attaining. I'm striving. I feel like if I read the scripture, the devil will have no room to operate in your mind. Here's what Jesus said. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. The name of Jesus is going to be the separation. It's the separation. But he that shall endure unto the end. Mm, That doesn't sound very comforting. You're going to have to endure. You may never get the gold watch. You're just going to endure. The gold watch won't come on this earth. Oh, man. This false concept is infecting the churches today. Because you think, you think that when you follow Jesus Christ, it's all going to be wonderful and good. I'm going to tell you, in this life, you're going to have heartache and tribulation and pain and suffering and rejection. 
if Paul went through it, you're going to go through it. You're going to have things said about you from people in the church. And they might be right and they might be wrong. They might be right and wrong at the same time. In fact, if they say anything, they're already wrong even if it's right. And if they say anything, they ought to be careful because somebody's going to say something about them. I've already seen my fair share of hypocrites. I watched a man right here rebuke another man for not paying his tithes. And the man that was rebuking him hadn't given one dollar in over a year because he's a hypocrite. I didn't preach like this when I had black hair. When my hair went gray, I threw caution to the wind. Come on now, we got to get right. If you don't get right, you're going to get left. I don't know, it's on a sign somewhere. If you don't get right, you're not going to be saved. If you think it's all going to be wonderful, it's not all going to be wonderful. You're going to walk in dry. You're going to walk in weak. You're going to walk in wondering why you're here. They're going to sing songs you don't connect with. You're going to come in sad and everyone's happy. You're going to come in happy and everyone's sad. But just keep on coming and don't give up and keep wrestling and keep struggling because it's worth the fight. Yay! You just got to keep tugging. You got to keep struggling. And then and then comes this little blurb of Hebrews 12 which is disconcerting. I'll read it from the NIV. Endure hardship as a disciple. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Not me. It's not Scotty. Dana got out a lot of stuff. She that's a problem. Scott took the brunt of it. I watched him what he was doing. I didn't know what to say, but I knew whatever he was saying, it didn't work out well. <laughs> He was like Lewis and Clark paving the way. I'm not sure where to go. That's not the way. Yeah. What, what father doesn't discipline the son? How many of you have at least four sons? Raise your hand. You have at least four sons. Four, 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 four. That's a lot of boys. How many of you got five sons? Bill? You got one more, five sons? Thank you. Five sons. Oh, yes. Anybody have six sons? Five's it? What's wrong, Bill? What happened? (laughs) Kept trying for a girl. It's your fault. What father? What father doesn't discipline their son? You don't have discipline. You got a troubled son. And the absence of the discipline leads him to disrespect. And dishonor and disrespect leads him to be a danger to himself and to his society. His, his area is, is in trouble wherever he goes because daddy did not discipline. And your father will discipline you because he loves you. Here's the next verse. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline. Just in case you know. Then you are illegitimate and you're not a true son. So you should be thankful when the Lord says, no, I'm pruning you. No, I'm setting you back. No, you thought you were going to advance. I'm just going to put you on the shelf. No, for a little bit now, I'm going to put you somewhere where you don't want to be. I'm going to discipline you. No, I'm going to pare you down. No, you're gaining too much and you're st- you stop thanking me for what you have. No, I'm going to put you in the press. I'm going to grind you out. I'm going to squeeze you. So something, I'm going to put you in the fire again. And that will make you a legitimate son. But if God never puts you through that, that means you're illegitimate. Oh, man. Oh, man. We know Jacob's struggling And at the end, God will hollow this tissue out of his thigh. 
So he'll never walk the same. He's going to favor. I don't know which side. Let's just call it the right side. He's favoring it. He's walking away from wrestling with God. And then he's struggling to walk for the rest of his life. His name is going to be changed from Jacob to Israel. But the significance in his change does not come from the name. Nobody really knows the name. But it's the continual daily weakness. His gait looks different. The grimace of his face with each step. But it kept him. And when he met his scorned brother and his wounded brother, Jacob looks different. Same face, different walk. Same history, but different disposition. It's when you check out of the fight that you lose. You never lose in the struggle. You're not losing even though you think you're losing. You're gaining. And God wants to change your name. But no one's going to really see the name change. I look like the same man that I used to be. But I've gone through enough pain, heartache, thorns in my side that will not come out. I look like the same person. I've got the, I've got the same title. But you're looking at a different man. I'm not the same man I was 10 years ago. No, no. I'm not the same man I was when I went through all of that stuff five years ago. I'm not the same person. I look like the same, but there's a wound in me. It's helping me. I'm thinking a little different. Floods of mercy are coming over me that never came over me before, even when I'm frustrated. Why? Because the Lord has put me through some things. It's pressed some things out of me. It's put some things in me. And when you reject the struggle, then you become weak in God. And that's when you float around. You don't know if you're going to come or not. You won't sign a commitment. You never show up for anything. Why? Because you are led by your feelings. You're not led by your decision. You got to make a decision for Jesus Christ and say, right now, I'm not going anywhere. Right now, I'm going to stay in the night. I'm going to wrestle until I conquer this thing. And when I conquer it, I'll never be free from it. Amen. So I say, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in your affliction. Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice in your dilemma. Give God praise. When you don't have the logical reason to give him praise. Start to transfer praise and worship. From what's been given to you to what he has done. He didn't have to do it in your life. He did it for your life. I praise you for your excellent greatness. I praise you according to your excellent greatness. I praise you, Lord, because you're in the power. I praise you, Lord, for your mighty acts. They didn't all come to me, but I praise you for your mighty acts. I praise you, Lord, for healing that person and delivering that. I praise you, Lord, for the church. I praise you. And when I'm low, I give you praise. And when I'm struggling, I give you praise. And when I am in prison, I'm going to sing praises to God in the midnight hour. And when I praise you, Lord. I might look the same on the, on the outside, but something's starting to change in my heart because I never let you go. And it's not going to be the same for everybody. Because the Bible is not a socialistic book. He raises people up and he sets people down. He's not given the same gifts to everyone. He's not going to do it. He hasn't done it. He will never do it. Because he does it according to your level that you can handle it. He's not going to give you something that will cause you to lose your eternal hope. In fact, he might take things away from you just so you can be saved. He might wound you because it's better for you to go to heaven lame, blind, crippled, wounded, watch this, friendless, than for you to go to hell with a lot of people around you. Because when you get there, you'll see nobody. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So don't think this is going to be fair. There's no fairness. Who said fair? Anyone say fair? Jesus had a whole host of people that followed him. Then he had 70 that he sent out by two and two. Then he had 12. Those were wonderful. Those weren't even among the 12, on the 70. And then among the 12, he had Peter, James, and John. And then among Peter, James, and John, John said, I'm the one that Jesus loved the most. So don't talk to me about fairness. 
He looked at Jacob and Esau, and the Bible says this. I'll let you deal with it. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Nobody reads the scripture anymore. No one's talking about the scripture. You want to have favor with God. I want to have favor with God. Well, why can't everybody have favor with God? Because not everyone did what Abraham did. He believed in a God that called those things which be not as though they were. I just like to strengthen my walk with God. Okay, what were you doing when you were suffering? What were you giving when you were empty? I'm going to tell you right now. There is a way. And if you get in that path and in that way, God is going to bless your life. He's going to keep you. You might have to struggle and wrestle, but he's going to keep you. And the growth in your life, there's going to be spiritual muscle and resolve in your life. I'm preaching the word to the church. I'm standing against the concept of this world. It's corrupted your thinking. You do not deserve anything. You don't deserve anything. You strive for the kingdom. You pursue God. Just because you are born in a church and a parents that love God that did not make you spiritual. Do not think your family will be spiritual because you attend a church. Oh, God. All right. I'm almost done. I'm not done. I'm, I'm never done. But for now. Just for now. I'm feeling the burden of your life. Just for now, there's a struggle in you. You prayed about it. It hasn't gone away. I've prayed with many of you. It hasn't gone away. Someone give us an opportunity to rejoice in our sufferings. To embrace the struggle. To hold on to eternal hope and eternal life. You gotta fight for this now. You're gonna have to fight. Come on, man of God. Get up. Hold on. Be faithful. Be a godly man. Please don't be weary in well doing. Due season is coming. There's a due season in your path. I don't know how long the season is. And I'm sorry to tell you, all the seasons are different for everybody. Some seasons last years, some a few months, some the duration of your life. But when due season comes, you will be thankful. I don't know how I did it. I struggled my whole walk with God. I struggled. But henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown. I got a robe and a mansion. I'm not living for peace right now. I'm in the struggle and I'm going to keep on fighting. I got to fight. If you're going to have holiness and godliness, you're going to have to fight for it. It's not going to jump on you or on your family. You're going to have to fight for holiness and godliness and separation from the world. You're going to have to argue and fight and debate and say, this is how we've got to live. When you keep holiness, holiness will keep you. I plan on preaching every unpopular message to a society that are Christians, but they don't know anything about Jesus Christ. I want to preach all the unpopular topics because I know that if it's in the book, God approves of it. It doesn't matter what everyone else says. It might be unpopular to our culture, but it's got to be right with God. And you're going to make it. And God's on your side. And you will overcome. And you are overcomer now. And you're going to struggle right through it. And God's going to give you victory in the struggle. Ah, come on, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. And rejoice with a loud, with a loud shout to God. We give you praise and glory. And we magnify your name. I don't, please stand with me. I don't want to purposely call you out. And there's many that I don't know. 
But if you've gone through struggle, affliction, bewilderment, suffering, pain, loss, sickness, all the stuff, you don't even, you don't even have to declare it all, but I know the church is full of it. I just want all the people that have gone through that and are going through it. Just, I want you just to take some time. We're going to just rejoice in the Lord. We're going to rejoice because of it. Because we've trusted that God is able to keep us and guide us and restore us. He's nurturing us. Yes, 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 yes. Jesus, Jesus. That's right. That's right. I thank you, Lord. I bless the Lord on my soul. Come on, someone. I bless the Lord on my soul. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord on my soul, who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thine diseases. I bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Watch this. And forget not all his benefits. Cannot forget your benefits, Lord. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. Come on. I bless you. I give you praise. I bless you. I bless you. I rejoice in the affliction. I'm not giving up the struggle. I might be in intercessory prayer for years. I'm just going to keep being in intercessory prayer. Yes, right, right. Come on. Come on. It didn't. It's not all working out the way I thought it would work out. But I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on believing. I'm, I'm in the I'm in the midnight wrestling match with God. I'm not going to let go. I need a blessing that I don't even know how to describe. Come on. Come on, lift up your voice wherever you are in this house. Lift up your voice now. If you didn't come to the front, it's okay. Just lift up your voice and say, I believe you, Lord. 